Presented by the Hockey Shop, source for sports, sorry, thehockeyshop.com. This is In Goal Radio, the podcast. Uh, middle of summer, but it feels like it, it's been uh, one of those ones where we're fast-forwarding at uh, record speed towards the start of the National Hockey League season in the sense that uh, this is a compacted summer coming off the late start or late finish uh, of the professional campaign. Darren Millard in Tokyo for one final uh, podcast episode uh, along with the two boys from the uh, founding part of the In Goal magazine kevin woodley and david hutchison and uh how's that the whole situation over at the hockey shop uh going on with the with the summer sale well that's why you should be at the hockey asap because the back to hockey sale is on it's going fast and some of those door crasher sales that we teased last week you know half off pads from ccm and warrior there are still some left not Maybe a ton of stock left, but there's still a little left. Two for one sticks, still a few options there. And a reminder that the sale doesn't end with the door crashers. 20 to 50% off all around the store. So make sure you check it out. Uh, the entire goalie store, whether it's in person, uh, at the hockey shop, or online at thehockeyshop.com like Darren does. Still lots of great savings ahead. And then of course, if you're not looking for discounted items, you want the newest stuff, they've got that too. And if you have any questions, you can always ask Cam. It's uh, about more than just having gear and grid prices at the hockey shop. It's about having people that know how to find the right gear for you. So if you've got any questions, make sure you hit them up uh, and check them out both online uh, and in person if you happen to be blessed like me and Hutch and live in the lower mainland slash Vancouver Island. A uh, big shout out to to Jonas Enroth, who is our feature interview brought to you by Sensorina uh, this week. He listens to the podcast all the time. So uh, hello, Jonas. Uh, thanks for uh, stopping by and making your uh, uh, time available with Kevin Woodley. And uh, and I don't know whether Jonas would have an opinion on, on this or not, but uh, but Hutch, if you could have two for one on any piece of equipment, uh, keep in mind, like uh, some of the pieces of equipment would do you no good to have two of them. Uh, in, in a sale, what, which piece would you go two for one and jump all over that? I guess I can't do something crazy like two for one on pads because I could sell one of the sets and it's the most valuable. No, no, piece you, of ha- you have to use it. I, I was thinking the same thing. Like it'd be great to have two sets of pads, but really, that's yeah. that's not that's kind of a, a waste unless you're a national hockey league and you're one for practice, one one for games. But just just the average Joe, what what piece of equipment would you go two for one? Okay, so average Joe beer leaguer. Yeah. Uh, I'm going sticks because it's the only thing I'd use more than one of in a season. So that's pretty simple there. And by the time my gear breaks down, the industry has turned 180 degrees and the technology is completely different. So having two right. of something now means I'll be obsolete somewhere down the road when I finally need another set of gear. So beer leaguer, sticks, 100%, no question at all. Uh, goalie parent, I've reached the stage where my kid goes through more than one glove in a season. Um, mm. so it's, it's definitely the glove. Wow. What about you, Woody? Well, I'm probably, I think Hutch made all the good points on pads. Like your, your automatic, your brain goes to the most expensive thing, but the reality is, um, you're not going through them fast enough, especially as a, as a rec leaguer that by the time you need the second set, there's something new out there, which kind of makes me think of the golf industry, right? Like things change so fast. Yeah. But the one item I bought in from a golf side extra set of was the wedges before they got rid of the grooves and they made the grooves mm-hmm. illegal. So I'm going to go with 
a chest protector that I know is a little oversized and it might not stay that way for much longer. So I, you know me, we've talked about how I love the CCM mm-hmm. Premier chest protector. And, and in past times when it's been on sale at the hockey shop, I'm like, ooh, I should. That's like, to me, that's my wedges with illegal grooves. That's the, I love how it fits. I love how it feels. And I love how it presents so big. And as NHL rules that taper chest protectors sort of start to trickle down to retail a little bit, I think that massive looking unit is going to get harder and harder to find. So I'm 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 all in on the double chest protectors. So I'm a saver. Woody's a cheater. How about you, Darren? What are you? Uh, I'm going two buckets. Uh, I, I want I want two masks and and really get Tell them all all tricked out. Uh, that that's what I would do. I would I, if I could get two for one. I'm going mass and, and that just allows me to get a little more creative with paint jobs. Uh, like not, not all the pressure on, on just, just one, one bucket. Well, and if you wear it out, it just ends up on that. Well, where you can't see it right now in Japan, but that beautiful mask wall behind you when you're in the home offices in Vegas. Yeah. See, now you're getting my vibe. Yeah. I like Can it. Can you talk to my better half, uh, just about that and, and, and how practical that really is. I don't know that I'm one to speak to the better half about what's the right decision to make these days, but uh, and especially when it comes to having gear littered around the house, my office looks the way it does because none of this stuff is allowed anywhere else in the house. Like I've got the downstairs sort of, I'd call it a man cave, but it's not. It's more for my teen daughters, pool table, TV, like a nice area to have friends over. Not a single piece of hockey memorabilia. It's all shoved inside my small office because I'm not allowed to put it on display anywhere else. So I might not be the guy to go to to get that permission, Darren. Well, you guys are going to get your your hockey fix. Uh, Net360 camp uh, is on the horizon. Hutch uh, headed out uh, to Kelowna for a few days. Yeah, absolutely. It's been sort of a staple of our, our summers, Darren. And I don't know, is it four or five years now, Woody? I can't even remember that we've been privileged to go up and uh, go to this unique camp uh, put on by Alpha Hockey, uh, Ray Petko and Adam Francilia uh, for their clients and really a goalie-centric camp where a number of NHL goaltenders and some uh, small group of junior and NCAA goalies and then uh, a bunch of their coaches come together in this really unique collaborative environment uh, where we just everybody is there to work together and raise their games together and learn from each other and uh, become better goaltenders as a result. And we've been lucky to sort of be flies on a wall there for uh, several years now and looking forward to that opportunity again and connect with some of the guys who are up there and hopefully bring back a little bit of content uh, to share with our in-goal premium members uh, as we've done over the over the last couple of years. I want to say 2015 was the first one, Hutch. And so obviously we didn't go up last year with the pandemic. They had a much smaller camp, but so that's like, that's you're right, like six years that we've been invited up and... You know, minus the pandemic, five years of uh, great times, great goalie discussions and conversations and on ice teachings and uh, excited, uh, excited for for the upcoming week. Given that it's been a significant gap compared to a regular cycle. Hutch, what are you looking forward to when it comes to picking the brains of everybody at uh, net 360 is it the the latest uh technique is it fitness is it uh, uh the idea of just uh being the mental part of the game and and, and being focused or well, there's advancements that obviously have taken place over the last 24 months 
you know, I, I don't think I usually go up there with a specific thing I'm going after, Darren. I think the thing that really stands out for me when I'm, when I'm there is just the conversations that take place on the ice. It's, it's not like a, a regular goalie camp where an instructor says, okay, here's the drill. Here's what we're working on. Here's the specific thing I want you to focus on and maybe pick a few things that, uh, that are details that need to be improved as the reps are going. What you'll see is a, an NHL goalie coach and an NHL goaltender uh, talking probably with a colleague from another team or another organization and sharing, this is what I like to do in this situation and here's why I like to do it. The, the discussions get much more in-depth than what I'm used to seeing. Um, so instead of, I want you to play it this way, you get this much more relaxed atmosphere where you'll hear a discussion about why they want to play a given situation in a particular way. Lots of back and forth, what I think it means to the team, what I think it means to your game. I mean, I'm thinking, uh, for example, of one situation where Rob Tallis was talking about some some post-play. I think it was with James Reimer and uh, Freddie Brathwaite was there observing, as was, was I. And Rob was talking about wanting to play things a very specific way because, well, you know, you might cover more if you do this, but we're not really willing to give this goal up because of how that's going to impact the team versus if, if that goal is given up, well, that's okay. That that's not not quite the same sort of mental experience for the rest of the team. So some of those things you just don't get into when you're at a camp for kids or a camp even for junior goaltenders, where they're trying to be a whole lot more efficient. This is a a much smaller group, and uh, and they've got more time. It's more relaxed, and so I th- I think you really get to see some angles of some particular situations that we're just not used to being a part of some of those conversations. So I, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is I'm looking forward to just being surprised again, because there's always something new that I'm not ready for. And those back and forths go beyond just goaltender to goaltender or goalie coach to goaltender. Like um, some of my favorite conversations are like Devin Dubnik and Andrew Ladd as a shooter sort of sitting there on one knee in the high mm. slot while Devin's partner that year, I can't remember if it was Eddie Lack or James Reimer were in the net. They were alternating nets. And your shooters are like Justin Schultz and Andrew Ladd and, you know, guys who can really bring it. And Devin and Andrew sort of having a discussion about what each of them is looking for on that type of play. And, and sort of without the goalie union giving up too much information to the shooters, that that back and forth on, hey, what are you looking for as a shooter here? What are you waiting for to happen? was really fascinating. And um, also on the on the goalie side, like I think the best example I remember just thinking back is, you know, Lorraine Brassois, who I think will be there this week now with the, the Vegas Golden Knights, Darren. Um, but in earlier years, I think he was with Edmonton at the time. So pre-Jets and a very, a younger Chris Dreger, uh, now with the Seattle Kraken, but he was in the auto organization at the time. Two guys playing the same play. It was like a point shot slap pass down to the side of the net completely differently. And it was Freddie Shabbat, who had been with the Oilers, but wasn't in the league at the time. He's now the goalie coach of the Minnesota Wild, walking and working with both of them and not necessarily saying one way was the right way, but sort of having this three-way conversation about why each guy did it their way. And so that, those, are, those are the ones I love because as we say so many times, there's not just one way to play the position. And that was just jumps out at me as one of the best examples we've had of two guys on the ice in the net playing the same situation completely differently and two guys that have had success um, doing so. Net 360, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
was the first time that uh, that those bands uh, came out, and it was Connor Hellebuck along the sideboards and working back and forth. Am I wrong on that? Um, it was the first time I saw it, and it, and one of the things that I really enjoyed that's that's Adam Francilia, who's done some yeah. great work for us over here at Ingol, uh, was sort of transitioning some of the stuff that he does as part of the daily workout in the morning the, with the players and the and the goaltenders transitioning that to some some on ice work as well and I, I have seen another goaltending coach out there who i think uh i don't know just won a little bit of extra fame and showed a photo of himself u- using this and no i'm the original uh it's not the way the game works it's not that yeah. one person does something and somebody else picks it up i mean adam was just taking the work that he does and applying it on the ice and and i don't don't think it comes down to who's first or anything um, but what I what I love about his work, and I guess it's another one of those on ice moments that that really blew me away, is he's watching an NHL goaltender in full equipment, and and we know how large that looks. And he watches the movement, and he said, actually, this is the particular muscle that is at a deficit right now, and this is what it's why it's not functioning, and here's what it's doing for you. Uh, this isn't in in spandex in a gym; it's through full equipment, and then he's able to take those physiological deficits that he can see and then apply them uh, both off ice and on ice to, to transition your game. So the specificity was, was shocking. And again, another one of those sort of surprising moments for me uh, up there, I wouldn't have known to ask those things, but, but just being able to be a fly on the wall, you pick up some, some great new things. Yeah. I remember him uh, first time uh, and he, and it wasn't the net 360 camp. He just came out to watch Braden Holpe on his last day working uh, with, with uh, Lyle Mast and uh, Scott Murray of the Washington Capitals was in town and I was there doing the video and Adam just showed up on the last day and watched Holt's work for, I want to say two, two sets of drills and afterwards just an introduction and and a quick hello and and just happen to ask hey like i can't remember which muscle group it was he's like but it looks like this isn't firing for you like and this is a goalie he's just watching move around on the ice in full equipment and sure enough recognizing that there was a muscle group that wasn't firing properly and was leading to a deficiency in the movement and the other part of this and this this ties back to the net 360 camp where some some cool moments over the past is taking that observation, um, working through drills in and off the ice to get the guys ready for play and having that moment where it's like, okay, there's, there's a deficiency or an imbalance in the movement pattern, looking for what's not firing and then on, on hand, on site, doing the physio and doing the training with these guys is Dan Boss. Um, and I remember him being like, okay, like, the two of them watching, I think it was Eddie Lack or Connor Hellebuck do a wall squat and they could see where he hit a certain range where things weren't firing. And it's like, okay, we'll take care of that in the sort of prehab or you know, before you go on the ice, we'll, we'll, we'll do a session. And Dan Boss makes it disappear as well in terms of his work uh, on the this sort of physio side of things. So um, when you go up there for this camp, you're not just on the ice with goalie coaches, you're off the ice with Adam and you're also getting to work with you know, a guy in Dan Boss who, you know, a lot of the goalies up there, James Reimer, from a concussion recovery standpoint, will tell you uh, has saved his career. So uh, it's kind of a whole package up there. And then Adam's wife is uh, taking care of some very healthy eating, uh, which can make for some awkward 
moments in the coach's room before a skate as it <laughs> cl- cleans out the system of some guys who might otherwise be living off burgers and beer. Um, but other than that, very appreciated from those of us who are a little more health conscious, just got to sort of tolerate the every once in a while in the coach's room. But uh, it's a complete package when you get up there. Darren, I think just to go back to Adam there for a second and, and Dan in a related way, um, we probably should go down this this road for an episode one day, guys. But I've been asked a number of times, uh, what is it that makes Adam different or what is it that make other trainers? Maria would be one as well. Uh, what makes it goalie specific? Why is it why is it so special? And and I think that what Kevin was just describing there, contrast that to going into the gym and doing bench press, squats, rows, cleans, these kind of things. They they create a great foundation of strength that's important, but they don't create the, the correct muscle firing patterns that can apply on the ice. And when you see a goaltender and an individual muscle group is not firing as it should and it's translating into a technical deficit on the ice, doing more bench presses isn't going to fix that. Um, but the specific exercises that these high-level trainers create for goaltenders, um, they do do what what is needed and and it's not just for those who are missing something it's it's just in general what's needed for the position and so uh you know if you're on a team where all they do is put you through these heavy strength workouts all season long there's something missing and and if if it could even probably i would say it could could make things worse for you as well so the specificity of training is just essential and and it's awesome that we get to see it up there that's what kind of insight that you get uh, through In Goal Radio, the podcast, uh, hanging out at Net360 Camp and uh, grabbing some of that and uh, absorbing it. Uh, the Eli Wilson camps where you're on the ice and you're just uh, uh, being able to observe the the different drills and the different training techniques, uh, the 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 uh, t- latest trends in in save selection it's uh it's a real uh advantage uh, to you listening to this podcast and uh the odd uh, little bit of um inside uh, behind the curtain or uh inside the stall uh, that kevin woodley brings that's your little, oh, little just a little, little I missed, payback I, to that I, I missed that one i was like yeah yeah, yeah I should, yeah that's all right that's all right i'll uh i'll flush that drill and uh we'll we'll get on to it uh the the next one uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, what's happening over at the hockey shop, Sorcerer Sports Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Uh, uh, you and Cam, like, did, did you miss a meal or, or didn't get your coffee? You guys were absolutely uh, hysterical this week. I'm not sure where that came from. I think uh, that the level of absurdity that Cam brought to this gear segment <laughs> at the beginning just spiraled everything out of control from there. But we had some fun. And to be honest with you, like, if you're not having fun with your gear, then, well, that's a big part of it. And so this is an item that Cam's going to introduce to us today that I don't think I ever thought needed to be fashion forward, um, but it also combines function in a very important area. So without further ado, let's turn it over to the hockey shop and see if Cam wants to uh, explain uh, how it works. Welcome back to Goal Utopia here. Today, we've got the brand new Brian's Retro Style Made in Canada Double Optic Cups. I gotta say, these are pretty stylish and what we would expect nothing else from our friends over at Brian's. By the way, 
Speaking of stylish, the customizer is live on the new Genetic 5 that'll launch later this fall. Let's get on to the actual jocks. I feel like uh, Hutch, you need to queue up a little uh, Guns N' Roses music as the producer here, because I'm going full snakeskin. Um, I've got the matching cowboy boots at home. Unfortunately, I didn't bring them into the shop this morning, Cam, which is good good for everyone. Thank you, thank to you. Totally just kidding. So like, we got all kinds of options here. Uh, I don't actually even know what that one is. is some white snake skin. Oh, so like, like. So all you white snake fans. Yes, yes. And then this is like a little boudoir type thing for the oh, bedroom. I was gonna a go little. with Montley Crew, but well, well, yeah. <laughs> You're in your tiger, in your animal. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, folks, like sometimes you want to be stylish, even though you can't see this on the ice. It's important to look good in the room for your teammates. Brian's gives you that option with a multitude here, full out camo gear if you're into the army theme, little uh, 80s. Uh, well, actually, I got the hair for this. Like we, I know, you're, you're full, matching. Full yeah. out glam rock or, like I said, a little, uh, little animal print. Now, behind the fashion, what about the function? Because obviously... As stylish as it is, it doesn't do much good if it doesn't protect uh, the important part. So, Cam, walk me quickly through the double. This is a two. This is a double cup system. Yeah, I would go as far as saying this is probably the beefiest, most protective cup that we carry. This thing's double thick, two full-on cups, lots of additional padding. Like I said, hand-built in Canada, which you normally don't find out of a gold jock, that's for sure. This thing is a beast <laughs> to, to say the least didn't mean to rhyme there but honestly if you're looking Ooh, for like, like the animal print beast good job cam we're like full on with the uh yeah. i i need an adult <laughs> i was gonna say if it's a beast it's too much cup for you cam um oh, let's talk about the adjustability on it i love the fact that uh both sides have you know pretty easy elastic but you can adjust it make it tighter for us skinny guys Guys like Cam, you can go right to the end, make sure it's super loose and lots of room in the waistband there. If you've had a few extra cheeseburgers this summer like Cam has, oh, yeah. little extra adjustment there. Good, solid unit, removable cups uh, on the inside layer. So in theory, we have the bulletproof cups uh, that we've, we've had in the past. Can't buy them here, you can buy them online, but uh, you can actually put one of those inside of this. You can get them here at the Hockey Shop Sports Sports, you can give me a call 604-589-8299 or 1-800-567-7790 and check them out at thehockeyshop.com. He's taking over, folks, because to be honest with you, after that initial display of camouflage, I'm at a loss for words. You can't see me. We're going to leave it there. You listen to that and uh, you get a little bit of uh, a feel for what was happening behind the scenes. But there's there's a secondary version, sort of like the director's cut of of that gear segment uh, with with Cam and Woody Hutch. Yeah, there is. I, I always do the audio first and I'm trying to decipher in my brain as I'm just listening to this. What the heck is going on in that room? Because um, Kevin just uploads a couple of specific audio tracks and this week I was baffled, but I did my best. I edited it together and then I matched it up with a video and had a whole lot of fun uh, in the process. But there was so much of it that that just doesn't make sense in a podcast format. So we cut out probably two or three minutes, maybe more. And then I got a little bit silly in how I edited the video on top of that. Um, you know, come come for the cops, but see Woody in, in cowboy boots uh, would be what I would say. <laughs> So th this week's podcast, what you just heard, everybody, just a tease. 
please head over to the uh, InGoal uh, YouTube page or just on InGoalMag.com right below where we've published this podcast episode. We always have the video version of the the gear segment and you really have to see it to believe it this week. So please tell me on the audio version that you left in some of the White Snake and Guns N' Roses at least. Oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 definitely. There's a there's a little bit of uh, MTV action in there for sure. But as you can imagine, when this is all about the fashion of your cup, uh, you need far more than audio. Uh, it's half full anyway. Uh, we we can say that uh, based on what we saw from from whoa, from whoa, those two whoa, and heard whoa, from those two. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Cups full. Thanks, boys. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the feature interview this week brought to you by Sensorina Sensorina VR. Uh, involves somebody who I, I greatly admire, uh, I'm a big fan of, and in listening to the conversation with Woody, I'm more enamored with, and that's Jonas Enroth. Uh, I also think it's it's should be pointed out, he's one of the last guys that wear the number one. Like, there's there's not many of them out there that uh, that kind of wore the number one uh, and and different photos that I've seen. I don't know whether he's still wearing it right now. I, I haven't checked, but uh, it's it's sort of a, a lost number in our in our position uh, o- over the years. That's me smelling a story. I think it's time for me to dig into really? the archives. Well, you know what? I've had this conversation with a number of guys, and I think I need to expand it a little bit because you're right, Darren. It is kind of disappearing. Like there was that time when it was 1, 30, 31, 35. That was kind of it, right? And now we've got... Yeah. Numbers all over the map, um, you know, in some cases, because the ones retired for some places, uh, hopefully here in Vancouver soon as well, um, with Roberto Luongo having worn it. But you're right. It's kind of disappearing. I remember Luongo, I remember once asking Roberto why he wore the number one. And his answer was because number one says it all. I loved it. I just love the and it wasn't cocky, but there was a. It was there was swagger, but not in an arrogant standpoint. Like there was a confidence that he when he said that statement, he was kind of joking, but also like there was a confidence there. And you're right. It's kind of disappeared. So I've over the past couple of years, I have asked guys at various points. Why do you wear this number? There's a few that I'm missing. I can't remember the reason for Jacob Markstrom at 25. I think it it, it involves his brother. Um, But a lot of guys are going away from the norms for different personal reasons. In some case, just history. And that might be worth uh, like I said, smell a story there might be worth investigating further at ingolmag.com in the near future. Okay, think about it. And we'll come back to it after the conversation with Jonas Enroth. But off the top of your heads, guys, as you mull this over, how many number ones are there in the National Hockey League that you can think of? Uh, as you let that percolate, uh, Sensorina, Sensorina VR doing some great things, Hutch. They sure are. And uh, once again, bringing us our feature interview, and we're very thankful about that. Um, Everybody knows by now that Sense Arena is an absolute game changer for goaltenders. I had a fantastic conversation, guys, this week with uh, an optometrist uh, who focuses on hockey players and sports performance. Uh, Won't get too deep into that just yet because uh, we haven't figured out exactly where we're taking this, but we know we're going to have some exclusive content at Ingle. And he uses um, some virtual reality tools in his, uh, in his practice. And he made the point to me, uh, one that, that I thought was fascinating, and Sensorina actually, it gets us making more saves on our feet 
uh, just because of the nature of, of Sense Arena. It's, it's focused on working with your hands more than anything else with a little bit of movement involved as well. And so we're making a whole lot more saves on our feet. And I think that's a really cool part of, of Sense Arena and what it brings to us. Because what this doctor was telling me was that our visual system uh, works very differently when we have a very different perspective on the puck trying to make those saves. And that two or three foot difference between your standing stance and your butterfly is going to make a huge difference to how you track the puck visually. And, uh, and Sensorina is actually getting us to do that. So it's extending our ability to, to track the puck and use our visual systems beyond what we do in a regular, in a regular training session. Then on top of that, there's all those fantastic cognitive tools that can really expand uh, your visual system. And not just your ability to track one puck, but to track multiple pucks uh, in space, in three-dimensional space. Um, just so many tools are available to us, and we're really thankful that, that Sensorina is there for us. We've, we've sent along our first video showing how we uh, use it here, and we're going to be sending several more onto them that you'll see on their channels uh, in the next little while. But, but again, guys, uh, Sensorina, just a great tool for you off the ice. Uh, and that will tweak uh, Jonas and Russ. Uh, inner gray matter because he talks about uh, staying on his feet and different things that he's working on and who he's a fan of in the national hockey league uh, these days a uh, former national hockey leaguer going on a decade and a half of professional hockey Jonas Enroth is our feature interview on in goal radio the podcast presented by Sensorina Sensorina VR We're waiting for hockey to get started here in North America, but it's already up and rolling with training camps overseas. And that means that our guest this week, Jonas Enroth, has started his 15th season of professional hockey. Um, playing now with... Uh, now, help me with the pronunciation here, Jonas, because I know it's not as easy sometimes as it just appears. <laughs> it's, uh, it's Orebro. Orebro. I, well, yeah. I, my first... My first training camp in Sweden, what my first training camp covering the NHL was in Sweden uh, when the Canucks were over there. And that was the Sedin starting. In, and obviously, they're from Orange Koldvik. I probably butchered yeah. that. But everyone over there told me just to say Ovik because that was the cheat code. Like, just say Ovik. So I know it's yeah. not as simple as it seems. So 15 years, where does the time go? Um, how excited are you to be back, uh, back there for a second season and just kind of catch us up on your career? over the past few years? Yeah, um, I'm uh, super excited. I always tell people that older you get, the more uh, you get excited about the about a new season, I feel like. And the, the love uh, for the game just keeps going for me. And uh, so, I mean, I can't put a good word on it, but I'm super excited to get going again. And uh, we should have a decent team here. Uh, last year, we lost out in game seven actually in the semi-final so uh, it was pretty close to making it to the final last year and this year we should have a similar similar chance i think now that that off-season drive that love for the game have there ever been moments as you've gone on here as your career's gone on like i said 15 seasons there have been moments where you've questioned it and is there is there a time in the off-season where you know like hey i've got this fire or has there ever been times where you're like man like do I want to get back on the ice, or is that passion always burn? Uh, during the off season, no, not really. I always have had that fire. I feel like, yeah. Uh, obviously, during the a few tough uh, period throughout the career, career, sometimes I felt like I was 
not loving the game that much. Is that the important thing? Like, like, is the off season like, and maybe you can walk us through your approach to it. Cause we've heard from guys like that's the hardest part to get up for is the preparation. Is there like, do you step away from the game for a certain period of time so that when the pads go back on, you know, you want to put them back on? Like, is there a fear? We see some kids go year round. Do you worry about, you know, not having that time away might make it hard to create that desire? Yeah, actually, I remember early in my professional career, we used to step away from the from the from the ice probably two three months over here in Sweden and just uh, doing a lot of uh, um, running and weight training and stuff like that. But last couple of years, I feel like we started to do more uh, specific uh, training, more on the ice, and we were going to all these different goalie schools still. So uh, I feel like last couple of years, I've been on the ice way more than earlier in my career, for sure. And how has that evolved? Like, um, walk me through, like, like, let's go back. Let's go rewind. Let's just start from the beginning. As you know, as a, as someone who listens to the show, I do that sometimes. Where did it all start for you? Where did the passion for the position get started? Uh, I think uh, it must have been my older brother played hockey. He was a skater, obviously. And he probably needed a goalie, so I wanted to be a goalie. And I obviously love the gear and all that stuff. So it's pretty, pretty typical uh, route for me to get to find my way to the net. Uh, and I, like I said, I love hockey, and I especially love uh, goal t- goaltending still. So that's definitely my big uh, passion in life. When did you get started uh, growing up in Stockholm? When was your first time putting on the pads on the ice? It must have been around uh, ten. 11 years old, 12 maybe. I remember we played, or I played out probably till, I played out for a different team till I was 14 maybe, and I played goal for a different team all the way, obviously, my whole career. But uh, I remember playing out till I was 14 or so. And then from that point, it was all uh, goaltending pretty much. These days, we see kids end up in the net, Jonas, as you know, as young as like full time, just goalies, as young as like seven and eight in some areas. Um, do you think there was value there? I mean, looking back, I know it's a long time ago. Fourteen is almost twenty years ago, but I think there was value to playing out as a young young skater to to doing both to to continuing to play as a forward or defenseman. Yeah, for sure, I think so. Uh, I was lucky. I had uh, my goalie partner growing up was Stefan Riddewall. He was a uh, New York Islanders, Islanders draft pick uh, in 06, six round or so. But his dad is a former goalie, and he was he's a very famous goalie here in Sweden, obviously. And uh, he used to tell us to play out for different teams, so we learn how to skate, learn how to replace, and and all that stuff. So I think that helped me a lot, uh, especially my my uh, when I became a pro, when you had to maybe replace a little bit more than just uh, drop down and hope. For the puck to hit you, and that was that was going to be my next question: Is it the benefit there of being the guy that's a part of the play? You learn the patterns from the other side of it a little bit in terms of reading the game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I like I said, I think that uh, helped me a lot, and uh, and I can't thank uh, Rolf and Stefan enough for that. I guess. Now, um, you mentioned having him around as a, as a coaching influence. We, we've heard a lot about sort of goaltending development uh, in Sweden over the years. I've talked to guys like Eddie Lack and Linus Elmark about their experiences in it. What about for you? Like, obviously, was was he your first goalie coach? And what's it like? What was it like over there? Have you seen? Are you have you done kids camps at all? Helping out since you've gone back and seen how it's evolved and how it's changed. 
Uh, yeah. Um, obviously, he was my first coach, and we went to his goalie goalie camps uh, in the summers. Uh, actually, Eddie what used to go to those goalie camps too. Uh, so I remember Eddie from way back. Um, but back then, like I said, it was just maybe one week uh, during the summer we were on ice. Um, and now I see goalie camps all over the place. Uh, I've been to a couple and uh, I mean, the technique those guys are having right now, it's unbelievable. They're so much better than we used to uh, to be in that age. It's funny because that's that's a constant theme. If there's one thing, I think I'm now 20 years of sort of talking to goalies on this side of it. And I remember back in like 2003, 2004, when I was just learning, having guys in the NHL talking about going to see kids and, or watching kids in summer camp. And back then it was like proper leg recovery, right? Like not everyone in the NHL did proper leg recovery, but they go to a right. goalie school and 12-year-olds did it. It's... <laughs> It's the constant evolution. The kids always look so much better technically, and yet there's more to it. Like, where do you rank sort of technique among all the different things that go into um, success as a goaltender, especially success like you've had it, playing in the National Hockey League for eight years, continuing to play here for 15? Like, where does technique fit amongst all the components that, that are important to success? I, I think it depends who you are. Uh, for me, I feel like my technique needs to be spot on to get to the right spot and I can't mess up that much. Uh, obviously, I'm not a big big goalie. I'm just 5'10", so I feel like my technique needs to be spot on and uh, yeah, just make plays from there. Uh, if you're a bigger guy, maybe you react to pucks good. Maybe your technique doesn't have to be spot on all the time. But yeah, for, for me, it has to be very good uh, for me to, to be successful, I think. Now you mentioned five foot ten. Uh, obviously, we're in an era where everybody's chasing size, and and here you are, fifteen years into a pro career. Like I said, eight years in the National Hockey League, and I want to ask you about some specifics of that time, especially with the Sabers. But as the rest of the goalie worlds chase six four and six five, how have you managed to continue succeeding at five ten? Like, what do you see? What advice would you give to a young goaltender who's starting to get these questions already, and maybe starting to see some biases because they're not big? What would you tell them about your ability to succeed, despite not being huge? Yeah, I mean, the easy answer is uh, try to not think about it too much. Uh, but that's very hard to say, or very easy to say, very very hard to do. Uh, obviously, I've thought a lot, a lot of times throughout my career. But uh, yeah, just try to block that out. And I don't feel like I'm small on the ice. I don't feel like I have to... Uh, I have stuff to make up. I feel like I, I'm big enough to make saves. If I give up a goal, I never, I've never thought that was because I was 5'10". It was because I did something else wrong. Um, so, I mean, don't try to think about it too much, I guess. That's the, that's the answer, I think. Well, and, and the one thing that uh, I think we can see sometimes that, uh, you know, like have to be aggressive. Sometimes that mindset can sink in for kids that they have to be aggressive because they're smaller. They have to quote unquote to go old school on this, be out there further to cut down the angle a little bit. And yet, I mean, you've probably heard the story. UC Saros plays more conservatively than Pekka Rinne and Pekka took notes from him. Where has that evolved for you in terms of positioning and, and the role it plays in your game at different levels. Have you ever felt like you need to be out there further just because of size, or is, do you think that's a bit of a myth? I, I, I feel like I've felt that for sure. I, I feel like my early years overseas, I felt like I was probably outside the paint a lot. Um, 
I also, but I feel like I've moved back a little bit, uh, the older I got. And uh, last couple of years, I tried to make uh, all the saves on the crease, right on the edge of the crease where I feel comfortable right now. But earlier, I feel like I had to be out, out a little bit more. So throughout the throughout the career, you try or you always end up, end up making a lot of diff different uh, paths or technique paths or whatever you want to call it. And I. I don't know if that makes sense. I guess. <laughs> totally makes sense. You mentioned some, you know, sometimes earlier in your career in the National Hockey League being outside the paint. Um, let's let's go to that. Like when you got drafted, when when did the NHL come on your radar before you before you were drafted and before you came over? Was there a point growing up in Sweden where it's like, hey, this is something, you know, you played for the World Junior Team, but like, hey, this is something that uh, I can do at the the, the highest level. Uh, NHL has always been a goal, uh, but uh, probably when I was 16, 17, I started to get picked for the national teams and I started to do pretty well there. So um, so probably around 16, 17, I felt like I had a good chance. And that's also when I started to hear that I might be a little bit too small. Up till then, I had no idea about that. So um, yeah, around 17, I would say. And experiences over uh, in Sweden, playing, pl you know, playing World Juniors and playing on the national team and playing in the in the development leagues and up to pro there. Um, what was the transition like when you finally came over to North America? I mean, the game is different. The ice sheets are different. What was what was easy? Were there things about having played in Sweden that you thought made it easier to play pro, or there were were there other adjustments? What was the easy part? What was the tough part? I honestly think it's easier to play on a smaller ice surface. You have to move a little bit less. Um, everything, it just happens a little bit quicker. Uh, it's easier to stay in games over there, I felt like. And the tough part was just outside the rink, I think, uh, coming over to the States. I was pretty young. I, was, I came over as a 20-year-old. So that was the toughest part on the ice. I felt fine right away. And I think the Sabres really had a, had a plan for me because I – played a lot of games my first uh, three years over there uh, in the minors. So, um, yeah, they they gave me a chance, and I'm thankful they did. Now, what the off-the-ice part, is there anything like just adjusting to a new culture, new people, new friends? Uh, I think sometimes we forget just how – especially, you know, Sweden, having been there myself, like everyone speaks fluent English for the most part. And – but there still is a culture shock coming over. Well, what was the toughest part of that? Uh, I think uh, just don't have any uh, friends or teammates uh, that you knew from from before. Uh, all my teammates, my first couple of years were were Canadians and Americans. Uh, so that was a little bit tough. I didn't have a Swede or a Finn or anyone around me in my first couple of years. So I think that was the toughest part. I was new to everything. I was new to... Uh, the adulthood, I guess. I didn't know how to set up my bank account, all that stuff. And uh, first, I didn't really have anyone to help me with all that stuff. So that was the tough part, I think. What about on the ice? You said the adjustment was easier there. The game comes a little quicker on the small ice. Were there were there technical things that evolved in your game as you came over here? Things you were asked to do differently? Things you were learning for the first time? Or um, No, not really. I just remember from that time uh, that we started every practice with uh, like a 15, 15, 20 minute goalie skate with the goalie coach. Uh, we started with that in camp. Ryan Miller is obviously a great skater and 
for me to just go up there and skate for 15, 20 minutes every day. Uh, but I felt like that really helped my game. Now, was that new to you, that kind of thing? Like, Because again, like it's hard to know sometimes. I'm trying to think of timeframes, what it was like. We, we talk a lot about the goalie development paths in Sweden. Were, were, did you not have as many goalie sessions over there or just the way no, they set no. it up over here? We, we did, but I felt like we did more shooting drills and more just making saves. Uh, I think uh, in Buffalo there, we really put a lot of uh, emphasis on the skating part. and uh, I felt like I got a lot better my first couple of years uh, uh, skating-wise over, over there overseas. And I got to be honest here, I didn't look it up, but top of my head, I want to say, is that Jim Corsi around that time in terms of goalie? Yes. Coach? Yes, that's Jim Corsi. I had him for six years there in Buffalo, my first six years in in the organization. And uh, yeah, great great person and uh, a great goalie, uh, goalie coach too. Well, when you say skating, walk us through this a little bit. What types of drills? Was it different than the type of... Because we think of goalie skating. I think non-goalies think of it one way. And then a lot of times goalies think about it as just crease movement, right? Just moving around the crease spot to spot to spot. And yet we've seen an evolution, a lot more edge control and dynamic skating drills. Uh, and Jim was a little, you know, came from a different generation, a little older school. So I remember some of the guys, you know, there'd be like stuff out to the blue line and back. What was mm -hmm. skating sessions like for you when you first came over? It was definitely a lot of uh, crease work, just hitting uh, different points. Uh, we were doing the W, the K drill and all that stuff. He, he made up all their names for them. But we also did some skating up to the blue line and uh, just being a, uh, being a good skater overall uh, but uh, yeah it was a it was a good mix i think but we didn't do any obviously we didn't do any uh reverse bh or anything like that back then well when did that start to get introduced to you i was going to say because around two th when you came over vh would have been popular i'm going to say that's probably mm -hmm. around oh three oh four and was that something that was already in your game as well Post plays become so big. Is it is it a massive fact? Is it as big a factor for you now as it was then? Is it more of a factor now? How's that evolved over the years for you? Uh, well, I remember it vividly because I saw a lot of the talk uh, online uh, uh, from Sweden how they played it and all that stuff. And I went back one summer and just contacted one of the goalie coaches here and uh, told me I wanted to skate with him and learn this new technique and uh, yeah we did that in the summer and then I came back to camp after the summer and uh, I kind of showed it for showed showed it to Milzy and uh, Jim and we started working on it over there too and that was obviously the same time it came more became more popular overseas too but I, that must have been around uh, 2011 maybe around that that time well, you, okay, so you would have been a little ahead of the curve, actually, then, because I, like, I want to say it sort of became popular in the NHL. Jonathan Quick was all used it a lot in 2012 when they won their first cup, and that's when we, I think, if I, I could be wrong, but I think that's when we saw a lot of people adopt it. And yet, as you said, we knew it was already being used SMS over in Sweden. So fascinating yeah. to hear that you went over there and sought it out. What was that process like in terms of? you know, learning something so different and new for the first time. And, and if you don't mind, like, which, who was the coach over there that helped you through it? It was uh, Mikkel Wernblom. Uh, he's a, actually assistant GM now for one of the top teams here in Sweden. But no, it felt, uh, it felt like it made sense. Uh, I felt like I was comfortable with it right away. And to me, to be honest, again, I think it makes more sense on the small ice surface than it does over here. 
because I feel like I need to stay more on my feet on the bigger ice over here. So it, to me, it felt like it made more sense to play that way overseas. You talk about staying on your feet more over there. Is that part of your game that's evolved come when you've, as you've had to come back? There's so much... And again, correct me yeah. if I'm wrong, but the, from the outside, it feels like there's a lot of east-west and, and that patience and beating plays on your skates would become even more important. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Now I'm just trying to beat everything on my skates, stay on my feet as long as, uh, as, long as per, uh, possible. And uh, uh, like, I don't think I did that when I was younger. When I was younger playing in NHL, I probably slid a little bit more and didn't stay on my feet that much. That's probably an evolution that we've seen over here too. As the games become east-west, it's become increasingly important. Um, we hear a lot from the goalie coaches and, and the people that evaluate goaltending that ability to beat plays, to be set, to be square, is more and more important. So it sounds like everywhere. Mm-hmm. What for you? Are there any keys you can pass along? Any is it a mindset? Obviously, you can practice it. You can, but are, how how do you get better at it? If young goalies are listening to the Onus Enroth today. You know, as a goalie who skates really well and moves really well and is good at that part of the game, how do you? How would you focus on it? How would you focus on it on improving it? Oh well, for me, it starts off the ice. I want to feel quick off the ice. I do some uh, ladder work and all that stuff off the ice, and then on the ice, it just try to beat everything on your feet. Uh, you're gonna get beat five hole and all that stuff, but. Uh, if you can really try to push yourself and stay up a little bit longer, I think you have a lot to gain. So do you use that? Like, is that like become a mindset for you, Jonas, in practice? Like, even if I do get the odd one go through, like I'm, this will be a focal point I'm going to work on today? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I, my teammates sometimes give me a little bit hard, hard time about that, telling me I don't go down in practice, but I'm doing it for, because I want to uh, have better patience. And uh, I don't know, they don't really understand what i'm trying to do but uh yeah that's that's what that's i feel like i feel like that's a big key for a goalie for a smaller goalie i i look i watch a lot of other nhl goalies and a guy that is super good on his feet is jonathan bernie i think and he has great patience and i like to watch him a lot and try to pick up some some techniques and stuff from from him okay so there's another goalie who's had an incredible career and you know, we, I just had this discussion with an NHL evaluator the other day. Probably doesn't get drafted if he was in the draft today. Again, because of size. And look at the career he's had. Look at the success he continues to have. Do you feel like um, there's, there's something missing there? If, if, if that's the way we're, we're looking at things and yet you can still have success playing that way? Yeah, but I mean, I'm not stupid. I know... The bigger you are, the greater chance you're gonna have to make a save. But uh, you gotta you gotta pick the best goalie available, I think. And if a guy who's five ten better than the guy who's six seven, maybe you should pick the five ten guy if you ask me. But uh, um, yeah, I mean that's a, obviously a pretty loaded question for, for me. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Well, I just, I just find it fascinating. And, and, and I do, I like, it seems to me that, you know, some of those elements that you talked about, I mean, the ability to skate, the ability to move the patience, the fact that your technique needs to be spot on, maybe because there's less margin for error early on the focus, I just find that goalies tend to be better at those things, you know, yeah. in that six foot range. And so, yeah. um, yeah. But there is a lot of big guys that move 
really well. And if you if you can move like them, then you probably have a good chance to make it to to the NHL. Okay, so you had never heard about size at all. wasn't in your mind until you're drafted. Didn't seem to be a problem getting started. First year in Buffalo, 11, 12, first full season. Uh, you make the all rookie team in the National Hockey League. W- was there a welcome to the NHL moment earlier in your career where it was like a shooter or a situation uh, in that first year where kind of was like, wow, I'm here? Well, yeah. I, I think the year prior to that, I played my first game and it was against the Bruins and the Bruins won that year, I think. But on the very first uh, shot, uh, Mark Recchi tipped the shot in from Zdeno Chara. So it was two Hall of Famers that scored to me right away. So that was probably like the, the first uh, moment of NHL I, I really remember. And what was the, like, again, as your game's evolving in those early years, what was the focal point for you in terms of your game and trusting your game, trusting the things that had given you success would continue to give you success and yet probably being open to evolution and change in those early years under Jim? No, we were just talking about uh, try to be patient and and uh, work on my skating game a lot. Uh, it's been a while, so I don't can't really remember all that all that stuff from back then. But uh, that's what I that's the biggest part I remember from from Jimmy and uh, those early years. And sort of through Buffalo, I mean, it's it's been tough times in Buffalo of late. But what are your memories of the city and playing for that fan base and and being teammates with Ryan Miller in the early going there? What do you remember about that era? Uh, great, great memories. Uh, obviously, we didn't have a good, uh, good time on the ice uh, throughout those years. But uh, I mean, the city is awesome. The fans are awesome. The people there are are awesome. And uh, and obviously, Ryan Miller is an awesome person too. And he he taught me a lot from uh, uh, during the, those years. And uh, I, it's a person I've always looked up to a lot. And uh, and uh, I've been following his career obviously since uh, since our our past past uh, split. So um, Ryan is definitely one of the the guys I always looked up to, and I always wanted the best for him, uh, even after playing with him. Do you follow guys still? Like, do, I mean, obviously it's a nine hour time difference, but I know you're a fan of the game. Do you pay much attention to the NHL? You know, since you've yeah. gone back. Yeah, yeah, I watch. Uh, I watch pretty much everything. I try to watch all the highlights and all that stuff. Uh, like I said, I, I I truly love the the game, and I, I watch as much as I can, and especially goalies. Okay, so you mentioned Bernier as a guy, but are there anybody who who else do you love to watch? Uh, obviously, Vasilevsky is awesome to watch. I think his uh, compete level and the way he solve different situations are is pretty impressive and uh, obviously his technique is uh, super good and but also obviously juicy saros i watch a lot uh, obviously because he's a smaller guy uh, i tend to watch uh, pretty much all the smaller guys action in the nhl uh, if uh, maybe demko playing against uh, bishop maybe i don't watch that game <laughs> Uh, so I try to tune in when there are smaller guys and guys I really enjoy watching. Now I got to ask: Is that just because you enjoy watching them, or are, are there are you looking for anything at this point? Even 15 years into your career, are you watching guys and taking notes on how they approach situations? No, I'm t- no, I'm watching and take notes. I'm trying to get better, and uh, um, there is always so- some stuff you can pick up. Uh, I mean, uh, the the goalie in um, Carolina now, or 
he got traded to Detroit. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, uh, Alex Nedeljkovic, yeah. Yes, uh, I enjoy watching him a lot and just to watch his puck handling skills too because he's, he's great with that and he's, uh, he's definitely a, a goalie I, I've started watching more lately. Now, I mean, that I think that's fan- fantastic. Just advice and a lesson for young kids. Like here you are 15 years into your career and you're still watching other goalies looking for ways to get better. Any examples that you can think of off the top of your head over the past few years where you've watched a guy handle something, you know, a certain way and thought, I'm going to try that in practice or it's something that different enough that you maybe incorporate it into your game or at least give it a shot. I can't really come up with anything right now, but I guess, uh, uh, I mean, I, I kind of stay up to date on everything, so nothing really surprised me that much. Maybe, but right, uh, I, I like to watch how how a goal is uh, play, uh, play down by the post. How, how if they stay on their feet, if they play VH or a reverse VH, and especially on uh, during the uh, penalty kills, how they solve all those low plays on on the PKs. Okay, so you mentioned, I want to switch a little bit here away from sort of looking back at career, but um, you mentioned gear and you may have ended up in the net because of your brother, you know, the younger brother goes in net, right? But also equipment. So when did you, like, are you, would you consider yourself a gear geek at this point or were you a gear geek? Were you looking for the newest things? Yeah, I mean, I've always looked for the newest thing and I love the gear, obviously, still. Um... I actually love my battle gear right now, and I feel like the battle gear is perfect for my uh, for my style right now. Now, um, what do you like about like it's it is we've seen a massive evolution in gear, and you've you've sort of been through the different eras uh, as pads went. You know, as you came over, that was probably just as pads were getting you know sort of one solid core and things like that. Now we're into knee stacks attached to pads and you know with the ultrasonic and with the hyperlights you're into the materials that slide better and and make the puck come off with active rebounds like how, what what do you love about um or what do you like most what's the biggest evolution in your mind over the past couple of years with equipment i think i really got hooked on the stable knee knee stack that the bowers or the ultrasonics had last year i thought that they are super stiff in the right place and soft in the right place, uh, way better than my old uh, Lefebvre pads. Uh, so that, I think the knee stack is probably the biggest uh, difference the last couple of years, uh, at least for me. I, I feel like. Did that now? You would the concept of active rebounds on purpose. Um, was that something that you embraced? Like, do you think it's universal at this point, or was when it was first starting? Because I think too, Reebok had some, you know, like the. As far back as P4s, I remember they were trying to make more active rebounds. Like, is that a positive for a goaltender still, or do you think teams have adjusted to where those rebounds are going now as well? No, I think it's a positive for the goalie. I, I can tell using my pads how they just fly off there, and it's pretty nice to see the puck yeah, kick kick out out of the zone. Uh, and uh, I mean, you you buy yourself a lot of time with those rebounds. I feel like. Hey, you know, speaking of gear. Did you get a kick out of seeing your glove still being in the NHL three years after you'd gone back home? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was awesome. Uh, I've actually, uh, I think uh, Mike Smith used to use one of my gloves too in one of the world championships uh, a few years ago or probably 10 years ago now. But uh, that was pretty funny that I saw uh, Mackenzie Black wear it too. 
Now, when you first saw it, did like did you try and figure out how it happened? No, no. I mean, I, I kind of figured, or I, I could take a guess that he probably liked it, and or the CCM guy only had that glove, and he tried it in practice and probably liked it, and didn't, didn't want to switch till he got his own. Uh, so I wasn't really surprised, but it's um, it used to be a little bit different, or that glove used to be. Not that popular. I feel like it's more popular now lately. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was a couple of years there when not too many guys uh, used to wear that glove. Now, what you've you switched? Like I said, you're in the Bauer gear now. Which, uh, if you don't mind us sharing with us, which glove break do you like on there? Because you know, in terms of being similar to that feel. Yeah, they tried to make me a, a similar to the 580 glove, but uh, it didn't work out for me at all. And I went just went back to. Uh, uh, one of their stock clubs. It's, I I think it's a sixty degree break or something like that. Just one of their stock clubs feels fine to me. And uh, like I said, I'm really happy with my Bauer gear right now. The one thing we always we never talk about with guys is uh, blocker. You know, we talk about the pads and the puck. Wait, like you, you're switched over to Bauer. So, what, like, do you notice the difference in the blocker and the way pucks come off of that thing as well? Yeah, yeah, of course. The the puck shoots off that thing too, and uh, uh, it's pretty light. Uh, I haven't had any issues with it at all. So, I obviously uh, like the blocker too a, a lot. So, it's uh, it's definitely a, a huge advantage when you can get the puck out of the zone or or far away from you at least. Now, hey, one of the other things too, you talked about at the beginning about having that passion to get back on the ice and being excited to go back into your 15th season. One of the things I've noticed, because we, we, we definitely follow you on all your social media channels, is a passion for biking as well in the off-season. Now, do you mix that in in the in-season too, or is that pretty much an off-season activity? What do you, what do you love about cycling? Because it looks like you're, pre- you're, you're pretty into it. I know Darren Millard, our host, will be his ears will be perked up here because he does a lot of cycling down in Las Vegas as well. Oh, really? Well, uh, yeah, I like to get out there when I get a chance during the season. Obviously, I can't really get out that much, but uh, sometimes I have a, 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 a day off or something like that. And I get out there uh, if the weather is good. And uh, yeah, cycling, I got into to it probably 10 years ago from now. And uh, I mean, it's just a... Uh, feeling of freedom and just being out in the in the open air is pretty pretty nice and uh yeah it's a lifestyle now i i cut back a little bit of, uh, um because i think i biked a little bit too much a couple of summers ago and uh, i felt like i wasn't really ready for for the startup of, of the season with all the the cycling i've been doing so i i kind of cut it cut it back on it a little bit lately but uh, yeah i mean after when my career is done, that's probably what I'm going to be doing. Now, you talk about the freedom and loving that. Now, I was curious because um, you were putting in some serious kilometers, right? You were. This wasn't just going for. This wasn't out for a ride with the kids in the neighborhood kind of thing. This was real road cycling. Um, but I did wonder because you know, with time, cycling can sort of shorten hip flexors, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's something that all hockey players do. But we've heard not necessarily great for goalies. Did you have exercises you had to make sure you were doing to sort of, you know, counterbalance that as much as it's about, it can be great for leg strength. Mm-hmm. Did you have to be careful not to sort of shorten up those hip flexors? Exactly. That's, that's what I noticed a couple of years ago. So I, I probably told myself to probably cut down a little bit on the cycling and just try to train a little bit more, uh, towards my actually, uh, 
job, I guess. So yeah, you definitely have to stretch them out well and uh, do uh, some hip uh, hip work. But honestly, I haven't had any problems at all with my hips throughout my years. And uh, I know a lot of other guys have had a lot of hip hip problems. Um, so I've been pretty lucky with that. Now you watch like Tour de France. Are you watching Olympics? Are you watching when you're into it like that? I know that means you're probably really into it. What do you What do you like watching for for, for pro cycling and Olympic cycling? Track guy, road race guy. Yeah, no road race for sure. I don't watch track, but uh, I mean it's uh, it's a pretty big team sport. Actually, you don't really think about it, but they have, they need their teammates and they depend on their teammates a lot. And it's always exciting to see what teams are in good shape or in good uh, form at that time. So I think that's what's the most exciting to see how the team is doing and who can put their guy in the right, in the right position to win the, to win the race. Last one, we've kept, we've kept you here too long, but you also know I'm famous for last ones. Were there other sports <laughs> growing up? Like, uh, I, I love to explore the other passions. Did you play other sports growing up, any in particular? And were there any that you think, you know, kind of like playing out for a longer period of time helped you as a goaltender? Yeah, I, I played soccer growing up. I was a goalie there too, so probably a little bit undersized oh. for, for that sport too. <laughs> Hey, listen, I think everybody is undersized because those nets are way too big. Yeah. I watch I, that's on the Olympics. It, it scares me to see a net that big. Yeah. And uh, obviously, I played roller hockey for a little bit. I played um, floorball. That's a Swedish uh, sport we have over here. And I played bandia. Yeah, that's another Swedish sport we have over here, too. So I played a lot of different sports. Would that be a message if we were looking for advice for young kids? Do you think that's important at a time when specialization is increasing? Is, is, do you think that was important for you to be so active in all those other sports? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just uh, look at Veselovsky. I was talking about his technique and his uh, compete level earlier. He's an unbelievable uh, athlete, I think. He can do <laughs> pretty much anything with his body. And that's probably from playing a lot of different sports growing up. You know what? I did say last one, but I do have one more because I suck at this. My apologies, Jonas. But I didn't ask you, what's going from playing in the NHL for, like I said, for eight years, parts of eight years, going over to Sweden, and we hear a lot about the goalie coaching over there and, and how much you know support there is for the position that kind of been identified as a leader in terms of how much support they give the position. How has your relationships with goalie coaches changed over the years? And what do you like about the way, if there's a couple of examples of the way they manage things over there now, playing there, you know, playing there for the past couple of years in the, in the, in the top pro league? It's definitely super, uh, there's, it's all, all about the technique over here, I think. It's not too many goalie coaches that have actually played on a high level over here, I think. All of them are just very good teachers. They are very educated. And, uh, I mean, they see stuff I don't see in video. So, I mean, you can learn a lot from people that just are coaches, I think. So it's definitely a bit different. Uh, I remember over, over in North America, at, when I was there, it was a little bit more guys that played that was goalie coaches. So, yeah, it's a little bit different for sure, I think. it's a, Like I said, it's a little bit more technical-driven uh, over here. Now, do, do you end up with some back and forth? Because obviously there's a technical component of watching video, but then as we started talking about her 40 minutes ago, reads. So are, is there a back and forth there where you're explaining, like, are there, is there still an element of give and take and read and 
yeah. baiting and all those old school elements that that conversation takes place? Of course. I think it's the key is definitely give and, give and take a little bit. You are going to trust yourself and just still got to play your own game. And uh, I, I can end up and uh, with a quote Jim Corsi always told me. Uh, he told always used to tell me that uh, you're a hockey player dressed like a goalie. Just play hockey. I love it. That is a perfect way to end. Uh, Jonas, thanks so much for taking the time. Uh, I miss seeing you here in locker rooms, although like most goalies, they probably don't miss seeing me with all these annoying questions. Um, But congratulations on all the success over there. And love that you still have the passion for this after 15 years. And look forward to another one of these conversations a couple more years down the road. We'll put that cycling career on hold for a little while yet, okay? Yes, sounds good. Thanks for having me and keep up the good work you guys are doing. a great work with all the podcasts and all the content you guys are are spitting out. Thank you so much. That means a lot to hear. Thanks, Jonas. All right. Thank you. That is a cool cat. Like that, Jonas, uh, I'm, I'm going to speak to you directly here. Uh, a great conversation with Kevin. Uh, appreciate your time. But Jonas, I, I want to hang out with you. Like I just want to sit there and and talk goaltending because there's there's some people who are love being a goaltender, love being a professional athlete. But he's like, he's kind of into it, but he's not like extreme. And it's just be a neat person to just take a couple hours and hang out and talk goaltending. Well, you guys could do it while you're on the bike because we talked about that a little off air. I know how passionate mm-hmm. he is about cycling and I know you shared that passion as well. And we talked a little bit about that as well after we... we and again, fascinating there. I, it was a question I'd want to ask him for years was that about, hey, like like biking's great as a goalie, builds your leg strength and everything, but you got to be careful not to shorten those hip flexors with too much biking. And he was very conscious of that and you know, maybe having done it for a period of time. So uh, thanks to him for the time. Thanks to him for carrying the conversation early uh, due to some things that were going on around me at home as we got started. Actually, not at home, on the road um, as I did that. I was, I was, I did not have my A game. I would have been relegated to the minors huh. with my, not so much my preparation, but my ability to focus and guide the conversation. And he absolutely carried us. I never noticed. That's a good thing. Yeah, you know what? They, the control room can be on fire, but uh, the anchor never knows it. And that's uh, that's exactly what uh, what I felt there. I that that was a or just an interesting uh, conversation. And he wore number one. I asked you guys going into the interview, can you think of a number one? We we, we may not have one in the National Hockey League this year. So has anybody looked it up? Because uh, I know we weren't supposed to cheat. I know Thomas Grice used to wear it with the Islanders. Does he still wear it in Detroit? Because I can't remember. That was the only one I no, could I, think of. Didn't yeah, look I, it up. I, th- I just had LB having worn it for a while and earlier in his career as well. I don't know for sure, but I think number one's retired in Detroit. Oh, no kidding. Duh. Yeah. Very so uh, there you there you go uh, on that front. I, I don't know whether there is one, uh, uh, somebody that's going to wear a number one, which it'd be just, we'll have to keep an eye on it uh, uh, going forward. Uh, so, uh, Hutch, um, would you wear a number one? Because part of it is, it's kind of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah? And even more since, yeah, I, I wore a number one for a long time. And, and, and I just love w- what Woody said about Lou 
you know, the number says it all. But I, I sort of think of that not so much as a cocky thing for Lou, but it says it all for all of us in the position. Like it's the most important position on the ice and you're wearing that for, for the entire goalie union. So I love it for that reason. And I do wear number one. And when I quit my beer league team, it will be retired because I manage the beer league team. So I don't have to give the jersey back. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't. I, I just think it looks too skinny and tall. I, I need a little bit of balance out there. I need to be uh, made to look skinny. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, thanks to uh, Jonas Enroth. That's uh, why. Uh, you keep coming back to this podcast because you get to rub shoulders with uh, with some of the cool people in and around our game. And the fact that he's a fan of our game and fan of goaltenders and uh, watches uh, people and sees what uh, they can do. Nadelkovic, uh, puck handling and and small goaltenders like uh, Jonathan Bernier because he stays on his feet. It's uh, really neat uh, exposure and uh, uh, be able to uh, look at the world through the eyes of a, of a National Hockey League goaltender, former National Hockey League goaltender in Jonas's case. Uh, have a good trip up to uh, Kelowna and the Net360 camp there, pal Hutch. Thank you very much. You have a safe trip uh, home to Vegas from Tokyo and enjoy the last day of the games. I'm Thanks going to... Uh, the time in the middle of the night, Darren. What time is it there right now? It is. What time is it here right now? Uh, I'm going to say... Let me just pull up my clock because I, I don't have it up. We are talking about uh, five, 10 to 4 in the morning. 10 to 4. 10 to 4 in the morning. There's a guy who's doing it for the goalie union. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to get some uh, some sleep now, but not where I have my Sensorina uh, headset on, on the plane. My eyes might be closed behind it just for a little bit, too. <laughs> <laughs> just for a little bit. Uh, uh, Woody, you be well. Uh, thanks to Jonas. Uh, thanks to Cam. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, you are number one to us uh, for being with us on this great journey through the wide world of goaltending.